Hello, this is Daniel Orton, pastor of Harvest House United Pentecostal Church in Marion, Kentucky. It is our desire to see hurting hearts and minds healed as they are born again into the kingdom of God. It is my desire that this podcast will be a blessing to you and help bring you closer to Jesus. Most disobedient, but also at times I was also really obedient. I also at times responded to the Word of God and came to the altar and prayed, but there were many times that when I did that after church was over, what I received at the altar I let fall away. And eventually something in my world began to stick because I realized as I got older through maturity that what I was seeking after, what I thought I needed, was not what I needed. Staying up till 3 or 4 a.m., playing PS4, trying to crunch in as much as I could before school the next morning, spending all time on social media and diving into, dark, diving into websites I shouldn't be on as a kid in my room by myself, doing things with, with people I was not supposed to do. I know what it's like to be a youth kid. I know the pressures of this world, the pressures of school and high school. It's not that long removed from me when I was in similar shoes to yours in a divorced home and, and dealing with a single mom and, and dealing with my sister. I, I know what I can relate to what some of your situations are. I just wanted to say that today to let you know that there is a way out. There is a chance. There is more than a chance. There is a God who, if you will give the opportunity, will change your life. Just as Brother Near got behind this pulpit and said that it was in a service just like this that God changed his life. It was on Sunday mornings just like this when I was goofing off and I was playing around. The Word of God was being hammered into the back of my mind. And now as I go throughout my life, I remember sermons pastor preached and how much I wished I had really grabbed on to what he was preaching from behind the pulpit and applied it to my life then instead of having to look back and think about it now. But without further ado, I believe it's time that we get into the Word of the Lord today. And if you would, let's turn to the book of Esther. We're going to start reading in chapter 4 of Esther. If you ever just need something to read and uh, you're kind of tired of scrolling through whatever you're scrolling through, maybe you're caught up in Isaiah or caught up in Psalms, and you just kind of want something to boost you up a little bit, just go and read Esther. Esther is a quick little book. You can get through it. You can listen to it. And uh, that's what I'm preaching about today because that's what I found myself doing. I was caught up. I was tired of, I'd listened to a few sermons that day. I hadn't really listened to much Bible on the day. I, in particular, I, I sought after the book of Esther. And it just kind of fell. I was like, it's a pretty short book. And after the first chapter, I was just stuck, driven to finish this book. And I did. It's a very short read. But we're going to go to chapter 4, starting in verse 13. If you're there, give me an amen. And we're going to go ahead and read this. If you would stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. That's not just because I want you to. That's because it's respect to God's word. Um, so, without further ado, it says, Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, 
Then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. Somebody say, another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, so will I go unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So, let's go ahead and pray and invite the Spirit of the Lord to continue to do the work that He wants to do in this place today. Jesus, we're so thankful for this opportunity that we have to be in Your house. God, we know, Lord, that as flesh, we don't deserve to connect with Your Spirit. We don't deserve to, to know Your name, the name of Jesus, the most powerful and strong, strongest name in the whole, the whole universe, Lord. I ask today that You would help us to understand Your Word. You would help us to see what You want to do in our lives. Lord, You would begin to open up our eyes to everything that You have planned for this church and for each individual, whether young or old, in this place today. Lord, I am thankful for this opportunity, Lord, to stand here and deliver Your Word today, God. I ask today that You would anoint my mouth so I could speak in a way that the young people, Lord, and the old people and the saints today would understand what it is that You want to say to us. Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Um. So before I get into the actual sermon, I, I will deliver unto you my title, and that is The Dying Words of a Reborn Generation. The Dying Words of a Reborn Generation. So, it was because of the defiance of a spoiled queen, Vashti. Somebody say Vashti. If you would just for a moment allow me to lay a foundation, a launching point, if you will, for this message. And it was because of, of Vashti, the spoiled queen, that a particular opportunity crept into the ear of Mordecai, who was a Jew, who was a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem in captivity with the rest of the children of Israel by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. This opportunity was for a Jewish girl to have the royal crown placed upon her head and to walk among the royal estate of King Ahasuerus. An opportunity for God to intervene because of the persistence resonating from the household of Mordecai and God's consistent deliverance of the children of Israel. Mordecai was the cousin to this Jewish girl, the caretaker who had taken her as his daughter, her being Esther, the main character of today's passage, who the Bible says has no mother or father. She is now in the hands of Mordecai. 
She is also among the many fair virgins that were called to the palace to seek to obtain the favor of the king. Vashti, you see, the former queen, had disobeyed King Ahasuerus. And in the words of his princes, not just his words, but all the princes, that, king, that Queen Vashti had disobeyed the king and the husbands and the princes in all his provinces. But as a good father would, Mordecai has told Esther that her mission, the mission of an orphan Jew, a simple but beautiful girl, was not just to selfishly sit under the favor of the king, but for just a little while longer to hide who her people were until the right moment. To eventually, in due timing, reveal unto Ahasuerus that she is of the captive children of Israel. So did we kind of catch that back? ground that I tried to lay for us. There was a queen. Her name was Vashti. And there was one day the king was throwing a great party. And he had called for her to come in wearing the crown. And instead she disobeyed him. And the king had quite a bit to drink. And so did all his princes. So in this drunken stupor, if he would, he decided that Queen Vashti was to have the crown taken from her and that she would lose her place as queen. And so now there was a decree that went out in all the land that King Ahasuerus ruled, which was Persia and Media and Tarshish and all these. He had a very big place that he ruled over, a very, very big province, a very big kingdom. And there was a decree that went out through all the land seeking for a fair virgin to come and to seek the favor of the king and when she had come it was the king who would make the decision if she would wear the royal crown or not and we find Mordecai who had many times found himself in the perfect position placed outside of the gate of the palace where he heard this decree and immediately went and sought out his cousin Esther who he had taken in his household who had no mother and no father, but now Mordecai was her caretaker. And he set her where she could go and seek to obtain the favor of the king. But, as the story would tell, up until a particular moment, every card seemingly fell into place for Mordecai and Esther. Just like I mentioned with Mordecai's placement at the gate of the palace, there was a particular time he was there when two men sought to rise against the king and Mordecai had notified Esther and she solidified Mordecai's word with the king. Because when Mordecai brought Esther to the palace, Esther was brought before the king and he loved her above all the others. And the only crack in the surface began when an enemy of the Jews was advanced above all other princes. That's how the Bible describes this man, Haman. And Mordecai, when he was in and out throughout the day, and Haman would pass by, Mordecai would not bow. And because of Mordecai's resilience, Haman sought to destroy Mordecai's people, which were the Jews. And does anyone know what kind of issue this would bring if Haman wanted to destroy the Jews? Esther was a Jew. That was her people. Esther, the favorite of the king, the queen, was a Jew. And among those in the crosshair of Haman 
except she was in a particular position where no one had knew she was a Jew. And it was in the exchange of Mordecai and Esther through a servant, Hatok, that we find the dying words of a simple, elegant Jewish girl. Mordecai was calling out to Esther from his place of sackcloth and ashes, just as throughout the land many Jews had rent their clothes and laid in ashes. Because not only were the Jewish women and children and men to be killed for sport as Haman's decree went out because of Mordecai's resilience, but there was also payments in order for those who did such heinous acts against the Jews. And when Mordecai reached out to Esther, instead of reaching deep within herself and answering him with the power that was her Jewish lineage, because you see, Esther was a part of the children of Israel, and their heritage was great kings like David, and great prophets like Samuel, and great men like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Instead of digging deep within her and finding the same resilience those men had found throughout the history of the Bible in the Old Testament, her response, instead of being a Jewish response, was a Persian response. And you can find that in Esther 10 through 11. It says, that, Again, Esther spake unto Hatok and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whatsoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these thirty days. You see, instead of Esther seeing her great history as a Jew, as a, one of the children of Israel, seeing how King David stood in defiance against the Philistines, seeing how the prophet Samuel prophesied the word of the Lord with power and with might, and how great men like Abraham dedicated themselves to lay the foundation for the children of Israel. Instead of digging deep inside of her lineage, she gave a Persian response. She gave a response as one of the people that would hang out with King Ahasuerus all day. It was a response in which she had this mental battle that I believe we all have in this place today. The mental battle is we want to do what God wants, but we let the inconvenience of time get in our way. Esther was saying that she couldn't do anything for 30 days because the king had not called her into the palace. When as we know that if she had understood God was on her side, she could have charged into the palace and with God behind her, she could have achieved whatever she wanted to achieve because God had chosen the children of Israel. I believe that there are moments in our lives when God is calling us deeper. We give Him an answer with a time statement on it. And I think that's kind of funny. And I do it. I think it's kind of funny. Because we are humanity who God placed in time, trying to place time on God who is out of time. Who will never be consequence to time like we are because He simply 
created it. So when God calls us to do something, we say, can I check back with you Monday? Would it be okay if I waited till the next service? Would it be okay if I waited till I got done with this bathroom break? Seriously, sincerely. As humanity, we let time create so many useless mistakes in our life. If we would begin to understand that we are serving a God who is out of time, we will be able to notice how much more we can do with a God who owns time behind us than trying to place time on, on God who is nothing but for us. We try to place time on a God who created time. Monday, God, I will do this. Just let me graduate and I'll do this. I'll tell my friends about God after I go to this party, after I get done at this school event. I'll do that tomorrow when I wake up. We try to take the place of God and use time, which is nothing to God, to justify why we are in the dilemma we are in. I know it seems like tomorrow will always show up. That it's so easy to plan on next week because so far, I've always have had a next week. That we even go as far to plan things a year ahead because it's 2022 and there will definitely be a 2023. But it's not promised to us. I, I'm not telling you today that there's not coming a tomorrow or a next year. All I am saying that it, it is time to quit placing time on a God who stepped once into time to die for our sins and take something that God values, which is now, which is this moment, and decide now on a Sunday morning when you have all the freedom in the world in the house of God, when all the distractions of your home life are eliminated, when all the addictions of your home life are eliminated, to decide on this moment right now, which is a time that God does value, which is a moment that God does respect, and take it right now and decide that on this Sunday morning, I'm going to give myself to God. I'm going to answer with the heritage of King David in mind because if Esther had thought back to the great lineage that was the children of Israel instead of relying on the moment of that Persian power she had in her life and giving a Persian answer of placing time on God, if she had just answered with the same power and might that King David had when he stood in the face of a Philistine army, when he stood in the face of that Philistine champion Goliath and he took those stones which he took time to prepare and cast those stones into the skull of that giant and knock him down. If she had remembered the power that he had to take on such a feat and destroy such an enemy. And he did it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. If she had took into mind the legacy of Samuel who in the face of disappointment of Saul, who, he, who Samuel had anointed, who was chosen by God to be the first king of Israel, but failed in the face of adversity and ultimately disobeyed Samuel. And God, Samuel in a moment, uh, in a desperate emotional moment in his life, uh, when he was mourning over, over, over Saul, instead of continuing to mourn over Saul, God called him to move on. And that's when he went on and anointed David, the greatest king of Israel. 
Because today in this house, we serve a God who stepped into the flesh as Jesus and who was in the lineage of the Jews. Which because we serve the Lord, we are also in that same lineage. When you took on the name of Jesus in water baptism, when you took on His blood, you took on the lineage. You took on the lineage of David. You took on the lineage of Abraham. And you most definitely took on the lineage of Jesus Christ who was God in the flesh. I'll tell you today, there is a greater power here today that is made accessible by Jesus. God on Calvary. That is God's Spirit. That is the Holy Ghost. Something that Esther and David and Samuel did not have, but we do. So stop relying on time and call on the God of time. Yes. Esther fought the idea to put time on an inevitable miracle in her head. But Mordecai's answer, I believe, is relevant to us today. And that's found in our text we read in Esther 4 and 13. It says that Mordecai commanded to, es to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, there, then shall there enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed, and who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You know what Mordecai was saying? Because he was saying that regardless of how Esther felt, God was going to release His people. Regardless of her response, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels had to happen. The words of the prophets in the Old Testament had to come to pass because God is not a liar. Regardless of how we feel today, salvation has to be preached. Regardless if words from this pulpit fall on deaf ears, it has to be preached. The world has to know Jesus Christ died on the cross. It cannot get lost in history. It cannot get turned away in a book in a history. It cannot get turned away on a page in a history book. We have to understand that there was real blood that flowed on Calvary. There is real baptism in the water in Jesus' name. And there is a real fire that will burn on the inside of you when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Inevitability isn't an excuse to step out of the way and wait. Just because God said it would happen and you believe God that it will does not excuse us from being the ones to make it happen. Just because God said it will come to pass doesn't mean it will be the most conventional way. Because let me tell you something today, church. God's most conventional way is you. God's first choice is you. But regardless of us, God will fulfill His Word. Because His Word is forever settled in heaven. At a job, I worked at Dairy Queen in Dawson. I had this man who was my friend who I worked with. And he would question me sometimes about the Bible. And one day he said to me, What if the devil changed his ways? And I thought that was a 
crazy question, but reasonable for someone who may not sit in the church atmosphere we sit in every day. And I said, but I'm sorry. God's Word is forever settled in heaven. And what is written in the Bible is going to come to pass. And today, doesn't matter what state we are in. God's Word is going to come to pass and His first choice for it to happen is us. Don't question the time God has placed us in. We are here for such a time as this. Above all the comfort, above all the convenience, above all the noise, there is a call. God's will will come to pass. But will you be the one to perform it? So, in the face of comfort, Esther chooses to speak her dying words in the face of destruction for her people. You know how old Esther was? Anybody take a guess? Any young person give me a guess on Esther's age? Four? How? Realistic. Give me a realistic guess. 32. 52. 48. Esther, from the research I did today, I didn't pinpoint in an exact age. And if I had looked further, I probably could have. But I saw anywhere from 14 to 18 years old. This girl was brought before a king of a foreign nation who controlled the people of Israel. And she had a decision to make when destruction was chasing the children of Israel. When Haman sent out a decree that he was going to slaughter every woman, every child, and every man. And not only that, but he was going to pay for it to be done. The king was going to pay for it to be done. And the king believed in it so much that he gave him his ring as a statement, as a stamp for it to happen. And it was in the face of this destruction. It was in the face of this move of hell against the children of Israel that Esther answered in chapter 4 verse 16 where she said, Go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And in her dying words of Esther's flesh, she said, And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. The dying words of a chosen generation. Because Esther at this moment was not just speaking for herself. She was not just speaking for Mordecai. She was standing against hell, representing an entire generation. I will tell you right now, young people, you are outnumbered as someone who knows the truth, who knows about repentance, who knows about baptism in Jesus' name, and who knows about the Holy Ghost in your school halls, in your workplace. You are looking at odds that seem to be out of your hand and out of your control. You are representing an entire chosen generation when you step out of this church, when you are standing and you are going throughout your day, you are representing a chosen generation. It was Esther who in the same 
shoes as a young girl in this church. In the same shoes, she stood before hell and she proclaimed that if I perish, I perish. It was her dying words, the dying words in which she killed her flesh and decided that she was going to go three days and three nights without eating or drinking, which if you did that without God on your side, you would die. And Esther knew that that was a risk she was taking. Her original answer to Mordecai renting his clothes and laying in sackcloth was that she couldn't go into the king because there was a law that if she went into the king and he didn't raise the golden scepter, she would be killed. And she knew the risk. She knew the risk that she was taking. She knew that she could have been belittled. She could have been humiliated publicly. She knew that the risk that she was taking when she got and stood in the face of hell for her generation, when she stood in the face of hell for her people. But you see, there's this funny part of our brain that when we are experiencing great pain, when we are experiencing great trauma that if someone was to bring up a picture of someone who you loved dearly say someone was torturing me in a chair and they were slicing off pieces of my flesh and they were ripping out my teeth if they had if they pulled out a picture of my wife the pain from that moment would diminish because the dopamine that my brain would release when I see someone I love would begin to knock the edge off that pain. My body would begin to release adrenaline and I wouldn't feel the pain as much. So I imagine Esther as she made this decree. She wasn't just picturing herself, but she was picturing her Mordecai. She was picturing all the women and children she had seen throughout the captive kingdom. And, and she was deciding that the risk was worth it all. That dying was worth it all. That if she perished, it was still worth it. So she could go before the king and say, I am a Jew. That I know I, I tend to give Persian answers sometimes, but I am a Jew. These are my people. And that's just what she did. Esther set the precedence for an offensive attack on the enemy. When the odds stacked against Esther, she said, if I die, I die. She was continuing the work that was started when God chose His people and set them apart. God has chosen us as His people. We are the chosen generation. Young people, you are a chosen generation. Remember the words of Mordecai, for if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, there then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou in thy father's house shall be destroyed. Mordecai was saying that just as God did before, He will raise up a deliverer, good or bad, a warrior for Israel or a warrior against Israel to enslave them away from the Persians. 
And I like his seemingly rhetorical question at the end, in which he said, Who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Church, God knows. He does. God knows and He knows more than you and me. Why did God raise me in a divorced home? Why did God raise me in a depressed, overstimulated, sleepless generation? Why did God bring us up in a sexually perverse, immoral, confused generation? Why did at 20... One years old, God, take my mother and my sister in a tragic car accident. Why did all these circumstances happen? I could say why all day long, but I can rely on the words of Mordecai when he said, Who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Who knows? God knows. I had a gentleman one time say to me when he addressed what happened on August 2nd on a tragic day in my life. He said, God holds all the secrets of the universe. And that may not comfort you, but I can understand that I can rely on a God who is out of time to help me manage my problems in time. Because... As many young people in Sunday school said today, you're always going to mess up. You're always going to have issues and troubles. And that comes with time. And that's going to keep happening until God comes back for His church. And if you are not ready, then that will continue and triple and, and times 10, times 20 get worse. If you find yourself in a burning lake of fire. Let me tell you something today. God brought us through all these trials. And is raising us in such a messed up generation. Not just so we could be protected from it. So we could have power over it. So we could deliver our friends, our brothers, and our sisters and let them know that there is a God. And let them know that there is remission. Let them know that there is forgiveness. Because there is forgiveness. Somebody needs to know that in here today. The circumstances that are playing out in your life are not by your own choice. And they are not by your own cause. It is because there is a God who is walking out of time. Who has decided for such a time as this I'm looking for someone who's going to stand in the face of adversity who's going to stand in the face of a captive kingdom and decide that if I perish I perish there is forgiveness there is forgiveness for your mistakes there is forgiveness for your sins God is not looking for a perfect church he's not looking for a perfect young lady he's not looking for a perfect young man he's looking for someone who does, who has who, who has the ability to admit that they're wrong and admit their mistakes and continue on into the call who can, can continue on beyond the convenience beyond the comfort 
can step into what God has, who can stand in the face of hell, who can stand in the face of an immoral generation, who can stand in the face of an agenda that is not ours and is not for us, and decide no matter what happens, no matter what my friends do, no matter what drugs they offer me, no matter what drinks they offer me, no matter how many hours my job gives me, no matter how many raises my job gives me, no matter how much stuff I receive from my family, no matter how many friendships I lose, if I perish, I perish. God is looking for one young person that is going to decide to stand up in the face of hell against this generation. Stand up and decide that I, if I perish, I perish. But this is a chosen generation. God is looking for some foundational characters in this generation to stand up and decide if I perish, I perish. But these are my dying words. This is the last of my flesh that you're going to hear. This is the last of captivity you're going to get from us. If I perish, I perish. But this is a chosen generation. This is a royal priesthood. Yeah, these people, they're pretty peculiar. But God has set his sights on this generation. He set his sights on Mary and Kentucky. Kentucky. He's got his eyes uh, on some young people in this church. Uh, and he said, I've given you the skills. Uh, I've given you the talent. Uh, I've given you the launching point. Uh, and it's time uh, we say uh, and speak uh, our dying words uh, of a chosen generation uh, and choose. Uh, if I perish, I perish. Don't think you're too hidden in plain sight to escape the destruction. Don't think comfort will protect you from destruction, because it won't. God wants this generation, and He wants you. And it's time we speak our flesh's last words and commit. If, in closing, if I could have some music, if that's possible. If not, we'll just go on like this. But, I'll tell you, church, there was another who went three days and three nights without food and without water, not just the maidens in the place with Esther or the rest of the children of Israel. I'm talking about one man who went three days and three nights without food and water. Who, on a day before he went three days and three nights without water, hung on a cross where he was beaten. He was bloodied. He was bruised. He had his family stripped from him. He had his friends stripped from him. He watched the disciples turn their backs and hide the fact that they ever knew him except for just a few. The 
there was another who went three days and three nights without food and water. And while he was there, he was traversing through hell and traversing through pain and traversing through trial so that he could come out on the other side with the keys to death, to hell, and to the grave. And that wasn't just so. He could dangle him on some key ring on his waist, but that was so he could stand in our place and give us true remission for our sins and give us true forgiveness for our sins. Jesus, who in the flesh resounded the same words, who resounded similar dying words in the garden when he was praying and he said, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to do it. I don't want to be the one. I, I didn't want to lose my family on August 2nd. I didn't want to see young people stripped away from this church and lost. I didn't want to go through the pain that I went through. I don't want to be the one that's got to stand up and face hell for my family. I don't want to be the one that's got to stand up and face hell for this city. But as Jesus said, and as Esther said, in their dying words, nevertheless, Nevertheless, today of how you feel for what you have done. And I am talking absolutely everything that you have done, every sin in your mind, every comfort, every convenience that has tried to bind you. There is remission. There is forgiveness. Just as Esther became the sacrifice for the chosen generation in her day. Jesus, who was God in the flesh, had his flesh ripped, torn, bloodied, and destroyed on the cross for us today. Just because CNN didn't televise it, just because Fox News didn't write an article about it, just because Mr. Beast on YouTube didn't have a video about it, or PewDiePie didn't comment on it, it happened. It happened. Just because it didn't blow up on Facebook, just because it wasn't the most tweet, the highest tweeted thing on Twitter, it happened. God on the cross. Esther fasted three days and three nights without food and without water. And the king spared the children of Israel because she stood in the face of adversity for her generation because she understood that they were chosen. She understood that there were young people who didn't need to never hear the gospel and go to hell. There is a generation and I believe I'm speaking to you right now. The young people in this church, you are a chosen generation. I sat in the pews like you did. I did.
didn't pay attention like you did. I goofed off like you did. I was addicted like you were. I struggled with pornography. I struggled with video game addiction. And that may not seem like much, but it hindered my ministry. It hindered my relationships. And it was in dying words when I decided that I was going to pursue this. I was going to pursue the gospel because I realized my father couldn't give it to me. I realized Dairy Queen couldn't pay for it. I realized a bi-weekly, bi-weekly paycheck wasn't going to get me to heaven. I realized a fancy car. I realized a nice vehicle wasn't going to get me where I needed to go. It may not be a secret today, but when the world tried to compensate me for what was taken from me on August 2nd, when it tried to give me something that couldn't be replaced, I realized that even an amount of money as large as that could not even come close to what God could do for me. And what God can do for you. Jesus Christ died for your sins. It's simple, but it's not. God stepped out of, He stepped into time in the flesh one mission and he never turned away it was a nevertheless for Jesus it was a nevertheless for Esther it was a nevertheless for David in the face of Goliath a nevertheless for Samuel with the disappointment of Saul it was the time words of a chosen generation so I would say to you today never nevertheless the way you feel nevertheless of what you've done God wants you he has chosen you there are young people who in this room are, are called to be great musicians and great singers who have been given that talent there's young people in this room who have been called to stand behind this pulpit and preach the word of God and minister to the streets and minister to the world and the nations and the lost people roaming up and down in the coffee shops and the grocery stores. That's who I'm looking at today. I'm not looking at trash. I'm not looking at filth. I'm not looking at people that are worthless. I'm looking at people that have the greatest potential that have the greatest thing on the inside of them God has placed. And you may not understand it today. You may think I'm just rambling. You may think I'm grasping at straws. But I'm trying to put in you the same things I realized. That I was more than my addiction. I was more than my issues. I was more than what my family could give me. Because God had chosen me. And you were chosen. So today in closing... If you want to come to this altar, I, I urge you to come to this altar. But if not, can we stand today? And I, we're going to pray over this congregation. And today, if anything I've said has resounded within your spirit, I urge you come to this altar. Because we always rely on tomorrow. But tomorrow doesn't always happen. So in closing, why don't we stand and pray? And if you want to come to this altar, come to this altar. Let your dying words resound.
inability become an excuse. Don't let someone like Brother Jacob, who's going to carry this gospel to the grave, give you an excuse to step out of the way. Don't let the fact that Bethany currently occupies this piano give you an excuse to not learn the instrument and have faith that God wants to use you. I'm not called to be a drummer. God just given me the current talent to fill that spot. But there's a drummer in this room. There is a minister in this room. There's no mics up here. We took them down because nobody was using them. But I believe there's a chosen generation in this room who's going to be the reason they're back on this stage. God, you may think I'm crazy jumping around, running, sweating on this stage, but there is a call for you to do the same thing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you feel it, if it's begging you to come, don't let it beg you anymore. Come on up. If it's pulling at your heart, if you feel it in your chest, don't let it tug you anymore. Come to this altar. Come on, some of you are right on the lips right now. Some of you are right on the lips right now. Some of you are right on the lips right now. God is pulling on you because you are chosen. And there's been too many people telling you how worthless you are. There's been too many challenges walking you down. But all the while, there has been a God who has been on your side. Who has been saying, that's my daughter. That's my son. I want to put my spirit in their lives. I want to anoint them. I want to give them a call. I want to see them. I want to hear the dying words.